0: the great thing about um, being able to connect with people from other countries and other markets who have different regulatory systems, um, Americans get to learn from people in Europe with a different philosophy of their medicinal market.
1: Cannabis is international crib sheet. Jill Reddish is the co founder of the Global Cannabis Network Collective, a group that unites those working in the international cannabis scene with other leading professionals in the space. She tells us more about the importance of relationship building in this thriving but ultimately complex sector. Hello, Jill. Do you want to just uh, introduce yourself um, to those that don't know you? Thank you for joining me as well. So, um, yeah. What's your name and where'd you come from?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dave, thanks. It's really great to be here and excited for this conversation. And yeah, uh, I'm Jill Reddish and I have two titles. Actually, I'm the chief marketing officer for the uh, consulting firm Gateway Proven Strategies, also GPS. And uh, I am the co-founder of the Global Cannabis Network Collective, uh, GCNC. Uh, And that is a network of international multinational um, cannabis and hemp businesses that we work with all over the world so uh, I keep quite busy these days.
1: Yeah we met at um, ICBC in Barcelona which was cool. How have things been for you since uh, since you came back? Have it been busy? Was it a good opportunity to kind of meet lots of people that you've kind of spoken to but not met in person?
0: Yeah definitely and it felt uh, very energizing uh and really exciting to uh, aside from anything else it's exciting for me to, as an american to be in europe again yeah. i was very excited when i booked that flight um because uh as we know since the pandemic it's been so hard to get over there and so it's been a bit of a challenge to um really connect one-on-one and broaden networks with uh folks in europe but of course the the miracles of technology and virtual calls like what we're doing and right up, now absolutely you know, it's it's totally possible. So it was very exciting to meet a lot of people in person. Um, but as always, just to feel that that buzz and energy in the room of people connecting and
1: a lot you know,
0: that like d- business was getting done.
1: Absolutely. It's like you can facilitate everything remotely if you need to. But yeah, like you say, there's nothing quite like sort of being there in person and meeting people and sort of just being there, which is great. Um, So yeah, I mean, how have you been in the cannabis industry? Because you, you've been in a couple of years before you launched uh, the Global Cannabis Network, didn't you? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your history.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I joined the cannabis industry in 2018. Um I worked at Marijuana Business Daily, which puts on um, the largest trade show for cannabis, MJ BizCon, in Mm -hmm. Vegas. Um, My last year there, we got uh, over 30,000 attendees, and last year it was pushing 35, I think. So uh, I threw that number out there because I know some people are almost surprised to, to hear that there's that many people who... You know would want to go to a cannabis conference oh, well, in no, i mean
1: it's, it's hu- i know it's hu- i've never been but I, I, yeah hopefully this year or next um but i know it's huge isn't it and it's, it's a big it deal i mean awesome. not even just in the us or north america but globally isn't it
0: yes very much it really is a, a convener of a show all around the world a lot of Um, People will say, you know, you haven't really been in cannabis until you've attended an MJ BizCon. And so there I was just jumping right into the deep end of uh, doing marketing for this major trade show. Um, And so so my background is marketing and communications. I have a graduate degree in communications where I very much studied communities and networks and Mm -hmm. how those form and operate. Uh, so it was very interesting for me to be there at MJ BizCon and see all of these people together on the show floor. And yes, there's a lot of business that happens on the show floor, but it's also, as we've said, so massive and overwhelming that it's kind of like, well, how do you find who you need to connect with and yeah. actually get your business done? Absolutely. Uh, so I worked there until 2020 and um, <clears throat> my business partner, Chris Day and I left and, and formed a business together. Um, we, we did some consulting, but really we were focusing on the GCNC, which we formed in 2020. And really the genesis of that was kind of being at these trade shows and realizing, you know, there's always kind of that, that back room where the deals are really getting done. You know, it's the right decision makers find each other somehow. And that's where the deals happen. It's not so much on the show floor or, or even in the, um, I wouldn't say classrooms, but, you know, where the session
1: no, are. No, no. no, absolutely. But it's, um, I mean, just being, I mean, for me, ICBC was my first sort of event for, for the cannabis. Well, actually it was my second, but it was the first kind of official kind of event, I guess. And uh, it was interesting to see that, you know, I guess it was always a sense of community there anyway, that a lot of people knew each other or knew of each other. And, you know, I think all the conversations that were happening out the front were kind of, that seemed to be the place to be, whereas the kind of, you know, rightly or wrongly, but again, there was a good mix of, that happening as well as the kind of information but again I guess with a lot of events you have I think the reality is people go for the for the networking for the conversations for the you know meeting yeah. people don't they and it's great that you know industry don't want to kind of do the uh, the knowledge sharing and the uh, the seminars a disservice but you know it's it's all about the networking yeah. isn't it and that's
0: right such a right right yeah, so that's really where the value of the GCNC as a network lies. And this is what we've had people come up to us and say, you know, especially after they've attended a different trade show where there's you a know, handful of GCNC members and Chris or myself, our, our co- uh, my co-founder Chris Day, if we're there, we get to kind of say, okay, we know a lot of the people, here's who, and I understand what your business goals are for this conference. And I know you should for sure be talking to these three people. And then I also met these people, and it's, um, I get to really help network for them. And mm-hmm. we trade all of that information back and forth as well. And in fact, that um, trading of information is kind of a core tenant for the GCNC. Um, we, we vet our members um, and we ask people to apply. And the last question on that application is, Are you willing to share your knowledge and networks with other GCNC members with the understanding that that open sharing of information is really the the key differentiator? Because, as you know, it's always, this is always who do you know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, mean, you operate globally as it's in the name, but uh, where have you got members from right now? And
0: uh, we definitely have members on every continent where there is a legal cannabis market. So, in the UK, in Germany, in uh, Poland, in Australia, and they have operations in Denmark, I believe South Africa, India, India is a really interesting market these days, Mm. Uh, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, and of course, the US and Canada.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, it's across medical, not just kind of recreational markets that you're operating, you're connecting people across, right across the board and is it everything from, I guess, I mean, I mean, how does it get specific? I mean, people kind of, if you're kind of involved in the cannabis sector in some form, whether it's, you know, sort of CBD wellness products or whether you're talking about, so it's a a real mix of different types of companies, Mm -hmm. you'd say.
0: All across the supply chain, across cannabis and hemp uh, with a lot of ancillary organizations as well. So that could be um, SaaS, you know, software as a service, it could be agriculture tech, um, a lot of kind of chemi- chemistry kind of things, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the solvents and solubles and how that happens. Actually, we have a few members in Israel, uh, unfortunately left out Israel, and they're way ahead of the U.S. in particular in terms of so- research all across the board from um, how do you deliver the cannabis as a medicine to just what does cannabis do in the body? How does it interact and how does it help and how can we predict too? Um, so there's a, yeah, we've got some pretty amazing researchers as well in our, in our group. It's great.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, you started um, GCNC during the pandemic, didn't you? Was it, did you find that, I mean, was it kind of reaction to, well, we can't meet in person. So let's start a kind of online network. Was it really sort of driven by that initially?
0: Yeah. yeah. And- Well, it was really driven by the need to connect people, um, and people will always want to connect in person. But as you said, barring that, um, we want to connect however we can. So in some ways, it was almost um, one of those unique pandemic opportunities that people were more willing and comfortable to hop on a video call with people that they didn't really initially know and begin to have those conversations and begin to develop those relationships.
1: So was that... Um, Yeah, I can say, was that not really happening at sort of other sort of event organisers or it hadn't been or that? And they, for example, have been to some sort of online events and that was, you know, admittedly during the pandemic. And there's always that kind of, yeah, this is great, everything. But, you know, again, it's it's about talking to people or finding that. And I think some software platforms I've noticed when you do online events have that kind of specific functionality to be able to connect people. But again, Mm -hmm. it kind of has to come from person to person to feel authentic, I think. Could you agree with
0: that? Well, well I think um, those events very much have a role, and that we mm. really recognize and, and prioritize. Um, we definitely ha- we have event partnerships. ICBC is now one of our event partners, where mm. um, we kind of trade some some promotion, and they trade some. They offer some discounted tickets to our members, at a very basic level. We also kind of will help event planners with um, some programming and recommend some speak recommend speakers because we have such. Um, expert cannabis leaders across the board in our network. Um, but really, I think those, those events kind of go broad and the value of the GCNC is that we go deep. Um, right. We do Chris and I, as the co-founders, do an onboarding call with each member for about an hour. and We sit down and understand right. their goals and what they wanna get out of it and how we can help. And we do lots of check-ins and the the small networking uh groups uh or events that we do within our own network Mm -hmm. are really good opportunities for people to get to know each other more one-on-one and that's where that relationship building and that trust begins to happen um because this is a membership organization where there's an annual fee, where there's an application, mm-hmm. um, we we kind of vet you for your uh, yeah. values alignment just as much as you're vetting as they're vetting us. And yes. so what we find really is that there's a lot of alignment and, and I it suppose just more commitment
1: matter, too. You know? Yeah, if you kind of mm-hmm. gone through that process to be like, actually, you know, I'm serious about this. This is you know, this is something I want to be part of. You know, and I think you you. Mm-hmm. Tend to get a more sort of committed sort of membership group if you have that sort of set the bar high for. Well, it's not just about sort of entry criteria, but just making sure that you know there is that alignment as you were saying, and that there is that commitment.
0: Right, right. Um, we really uh, want to work with organizations who are in it for the long term and who mm-hmm. see that vision of a global cannabis industry and who want to work with others who are like-minded about building something long, sustainable, in a smart way, in a way that's not going to be exploitative of a market, but really engage with communities and lift them up and make this, you know, there's there's the potential for the cannabis industry can do a lot of amazing good in the world. Mm. Um, And I think I feel confident in saying that all of our members buy into that and believe it and are working towards that every day. Not to say that we're all, you know, altruistic here, um, but you can make profit while doing good. You can do well by doing good.
1: No, absolutely. And I was I think that's something on LinkedIn the other day. Again, it was it was about trying to sort of build that sort of change or that, because it's such a new sort of industry, there's an opportunity to sort of build it right from the get-go. There's no kind of legacy, well, there is legacy market, obviously, but there's no kind of Mm -hmm. corporate legacy in the same way that there are, you know, that's, you know, I guess there's, there's room for more diversity from the outset. So let's build that in right now, you know.
0: Right, we're not necessarily fighting, um, you know, a hundred years of the industrial Industrial revolution said that Mm. manufacturing has to be this way. There's definitely, we live in the real world, we do have those effects, right? We are not going, just because there's a potential to build this industry in a really, really great way, doesn't mean we're not gonna stumble and run into a lot of roadblocks along the way. Like we're definitely seeing that, especially in the United States. California is a great example, um, but the great thing about um, being able to connect with people from other countries and other markets who have different regulatory systems, um, Americans get to learn from people in Europe with a different philosophy of their medicinal market. Yes. Uh, it's it's very different from how we're operating in the States. Uh, and in fact, you know, my friends here, and I live in Denver, with, where everybody's very familiar with marijuana, yeah. but you know, my friends who are not in cannabis uh, will hear me talk about Europe and assume that it's all about, you know, Amsterdam and the Netherlands and I'm like, no, it. everybody's looking to Germany, what they're doing. And then France and Italy have both established these um, very important pilot programs, which is a very interesting business opportunity. And, you know, they're taking their time with it. Um, And I I think that time element is an important thing because it helps bring the population along step-by-step to help destigmatize and uh, really kind of grow that market over time.
1: Absolutely, I mean, this is what I was talking to to James Smith about on the previous episode and talking about 4C lab efforts in, in the UK and talking about, you know, growing the kind of UK medical market, because again, you know, it's it's just legal from medical. But again, not enough people know about that medical cannabis is legal here in Britain. And it's a, it's a message I think a lot of people are keen to sort of put out there. But mm-hmm. I mean, well, what's your sort of take on that? Do you know much about the kind of UK market? I mean, sorry, it's put you on the spot in that respect there. But... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I
0: try to be as familiar yeah, no, no. as possible.
1: With, with each of the so markets, the Oracle of, of global cannabis—that's that's your new <laughs> moniker, right?
0: Yeah, yeah I, what I find as an American so interesting is, uh, and I kind of touched on this, the the different approach to healthcare. And so we're seeing this in Australia and in other European countries too. Is that once a um, a state health insurer is convinced and willing to take that kind of risk that cannabis is a medicine and that they will reimburse it and cover it that gets our entire network of doctors um, on board and uh, e- able to easily access, or more easily access education. And we've heard across the board, all around the world, from people who, from our research partners who regularly interface with doctors, that there is an interest and there is a de- desire, but, you know, they have the realities of how do I actually spend the time to, you know, get yeah. up to date with the the research? So any kind of advocacy education effort that can make it very easy for doctors to get that information and feel very confident in prescribing to their patients, mm-hmm. um, you know, anecdotally, that's what I'm hearing across the board. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the ways to help with that destigmatization.
1: Absolutely. I mean, again, that was another thing to talking about with James, the idea that when it's available on the NHS, I mean, the NHS, I don't know if you know, they was what, our National Health Service sort of subsidize a lot of prescriptions. So you pay a flat fee, you know, as long as you can, you know, sort of under £10 for a prescription. Um, currently, if you access medical cannabis, it's you get it through a private doctor. So it can be upwards, you know, Um £125 pounds or something like that, which is significantly more. And I guess that prices yeah. a lot of people out of the market. So until you mm-hmm. have that sort of buy-in from the AHS, but again, that's got to come almost from sort of government policy or something like that. And so the, mm-hmm. the kind of narrative has to be changed. I know that uh, James was talking about his work with the CIC here in Britain, the sort of cannabis industry council, and mm-hmm. how that kind of body of people needs to kind of get on board to influence to then, so, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to, to bringing that awareness and sort of helping draw, even just in, even in a sort of legal medical market. Do you know oh, what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason that we see so many countries um, start off with a medical market first. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you gotta go step by step, right? Um, so so that's, that's a big part of it, I think, is that step-by-step approach. Unfortunately, that means that we have companies like uh, c- countries like um, like Mexico, Thailand, even Germany who are ready and have approved going to an adult use yeah. recreational market and then they mm-hmm. just get stuck because you do have to have that regulatory system set up first so that you can you can regulate your businesses and you can tell them what they can and can't do, and they can uh, deliver quality products with consistency. Mm-hmm.
1: So is that kind of what's happening in Germany? I mean, again, I've heard that you know Germany's poised for legalization, but something's holding them up and that's, and that's the uh, that's the issue here. You'd you'd say, to your understanding, it, it, what's happening there? They don't have the framework in place to be able to, I don't say police it, but to be able to you know roll it out effectively.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, my understanding is that they have approved going adult use, but mm. they have to set up the policies first and. Right. Various folks are saying that it's just not top of mind for the the legislative bodies, but I mean <laughs> legislative bodies run at their own pace of change
1: but what do you think the tipping? I mean again, having seen it sort of happen in Colorado and California in various us states, what has sort of been the tipping point for a lot of states? I mean, is it a kind of domino effect, would you say?
0: It It is a really interesting domino effect in the state, in the states, because, as you know, each state go, is going at their mm-hmm. own pace. Um, mm-hmm. So it was Washington and Colorado uh, with adult use markets first. And before that, it was California with the medicinal market mm-hmm. for several years. And then nothing really much happened until Washington and Colorado took that leap and um, from you know, from my understanding of how the sausage gets made of the legislation and regulation, um, that initial task of, well, how do we make all of these regulations? This is a lot of paperwork, this is a lot of lawyers, this is a lot of policymakers who have all of these other demands on their time, right? So Washington and Colorado put in that effort first. And then since then, so many of the states that have uh, pushed out regulations for an adult use market, don't exactly fully copy and paste, but they're kind of copy and pasting. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: they ha- You have to have a model to go for, mm, to, so to go after first. And, you know, y- you you live and learn and there's um, reviews and, and things like that that happen. Um, so, you know, when New York put out their regulations, it sounded really good on paper because they had the benefit of several years of yeah. how Washington, Colorado, and other states have done it, but you know, have they rolled it out as well as they should have on paper? You know, we live in the real world.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, I also like the term "legislative sausage" as well. I'm going to use that at some point somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, you heard it here first. But no, what's I mean? Again, when, when you work at GCNC, thinking about the different countries, and I guess there must be a lot of knowledge sharing around. You know, this policy works here. Would it work in? You know, so what? what works in malta would that work in mexico or you know i guess that's for them to kind of decide or for those sort of agendas but do you feel like there's a lot of crossover in terms of like well we're doing this you guys should think about doing that too almost i mean maybe not that informally but again like you say if there's a kind of template for success or blueprint
0: right i mean you know we there are real people who are writing these Uh, Right, legislations and regulations and stuff. So yeah, it does come down to um, person to person knowledge exchange. Um, Colombia is a really great example in in so many ways. They're at a fascinating point of change, and Mm. I I mean, everybody with any kind of passing interest in uh, legalizing and normalizing cannabis should have their eye on Colombia. They Mm -hmm. have such a fascinating story right now. Of as we all know, you know, they're. They used to be synonymous with narco's and uh, drug trafficking, and they have gone through so much change in the past, you know, decade, decade and a half, that now they're they have kind of taken a step back and said, "Who else?" Um, and I'm actually quoting one of their presidential candidates who spoke at Expo Cannabis last fall. He said, um, who else has the moral authority out of every country in the world to stand here and say cannabis can be a force for good. It's medicinal. It has a role in our health and wellness. And we want to lead the way in developing this market and in supplying the world. Um, That was, I believe, Juan Miguel Galán. And um, he's not the only person now, not the only politician saying that. Um, they have had a medicinal market market for a few years. They mm-hmm. they've been investing in cannabis production. They've recently uh, approved the export of cannabis uh, to other countries around the world. Um, but but uh, living here in Colorado, I had the the privilege of knowing that um, a handful of Colombian senators, I believe. Last fall, came to Colorado and had meetings not just with the governor of Colorado to discuss the the regulations uh, here. But how does your adult reg- how does your adult recreational market work operate? What are the ramifications? What do we need to be thinking of? They met with the the governor. And they met with some lawyers and some policymakers, some cannabis business owners. Yeah. that's such a promising sign, right? And they didn't just send over politicians who are in favor of it. They sent over some people who have serious doubts and reservations about this. And all of the reports I heard said that there was really great conversation and interest and, you know, kind of a realization that the world is not going to end if you have a, a recre- recreational market.
1: No, but I know it's really interesting to think that, you know, again, I guess you think of... Each state, almost in the US, is almost like an individual country in its own right. But to think that you know knowledge sharing between state to a, a nation state in the same way is a is a fascinating mm-hmm. thing. And, and I guess it's it's that sort of foundation. Is that kind of is, is that kind of thing you kind of want to facilitate with what you're doing right now? In, in, yeah, in absolutely,
0: way? absolutely. Any yeah. any time that we can take that opportunity to say, mm. um. Chris and I, for sure, do not claim to be the experts of everything, but we want—we know a lot, a lot of experts yeah, in man. almost yeah. every point of the supply chain. You know, from the research mm-hmm. to um, the end user, medicinal or recreational. So we're all about facilitating those connections. Mm-hmm wherever possible, because that that's how things get done. Right. And you never know, it could be there's always an element of serendipity. That's just sort of life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we might connect someone and it's like, hey, someone got uh, landed a really good business deal there or it turned into something like, look at what happened with these uh, Colombian legislators coming. Yeah. We, we were participants, we did not um, kick that initiate that or anything. Um, but we were very proud to be supporters and part of that
1: conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's important to have that broad sweep of society or, you know, community as part of that. But let me ask, again, at the risk of asking another awkward question, what what are your thoughts on federal legalization in the US? Do you think, Mm -hmm. again, thinking about that kind of domino effect, what's kind of holding back the states that aren't doing it right now, do you think? I mean...
0: the. Uh, the state the states that aren't doing it now in the United states um, are te- are predominantly uh, have a have a predominantly conservative
1: legis- legislation. Okay. Um,
0: they it's might hmm?
1: It's almost as simple as that, do you think?
0: For the individual states, right? Yes, um for the Senate, uh, that's just the absurdity of politics, right?
1: No, um, just recently. About politics. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. The U.S. House just passed um, a bill that would mm. um, that would uh, do legal federal cannabis reform for the U.S. But um, it is almost meaningless because the Senate has to vote and pass. And yeah, um,
1: what, was, what does that actually mean? Maybe you could break it down a little bit, because, again, I look at American politics, I look at British, I look at all politics, and I think. So there's been, there's, I'm going to talk about the uh, EU referendum. It's kind of like, well, that was a close call. Should we not do another one? Well, apparently not. Okay. But again, so how does that, in terms of what you're talking about, the um, the recent um, legislation, what does that kind of mean and what, what, what would happen as a result of it if everything went plain sailing but and where are the kind of blockers this is
0: well what does what does it mean i mean who knows we're just at such a place of political absurdity with it because all signs are pointing towards federal legalization there's a majority of support for it across both parties in the us right now and you know as we've seen the the house has managed to uh, get it passed but the senate is just an entirely different equation before you even get to whether Biden would actually sign something right now. And I, I personally think that Biden is being very quiet and mysterious about it because it's not really relevant until the Senate can do anything. Um, but just because it is it is so absurd, that's why we really focus um, on the international markets yeah. because uh, we would rather be working with the 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 countries and the companies and the coalitions who, Except the fact that cannabis is medicine, whether the UN, um, you know, will will deschedule it or not at this point, they'll have to eventually. But that's that's kind of another thing, another piece of the pie, is that the UN hasn't removed it from Schedule One
1: yet. Okay, and that's again. There's so so, so again. This is, I guess, what makes it interesting, doesn't it? There's never a dull day at the office for you, I guess, and when or anyone Absolutely. working in cannabis, right?
0: yeah yeah absolutely um so but there's there's so much work to do in the meantime until we reach that that until that potential is realized and um all of the legislative bodies catch up with the research because the research is undeniable that cannabis is um not harmful that it is actually good for us um I, i personally find so much of the research about the endocannabinoid system just fascinating right I wasn't taught that in school, so I love it when I can sit down and have a chat with someone about. Well, how does a what do you know about the endocannabinoid system? Tell me more. This is this is very important. It
1: it suddenly makes the whole thing about biology a bit more interesting, and maybe if they taught that in schools back in the day, I don't know. Again, when there's a kind of element, well, I think it just underpins the need for education, not necessarily at school level, but just you know, just generally in society around you know. And I guess that has to lead to destigmatization in the more we know about it, the more information gets put out there. And I guess that just becomes an ongoing effort for for, for everyone involved, doesn't it? And for all of us. Absolutely,
0: you know. yeah. I mean, the whole world has dealt with about a hundred years of prohibition from this um, for, for no good reason other than the abuse of power. Uh, and that is slowly changing and it's very exciting to see that. and. Um, you know we, we we work with and support plenty of advocacy organizations because we're a business who is operating in this space, and the more that we can all be moving in the same direction um, towards advocacy and changing people's minds, the better. So we're doing it in our way by creating connections, um, creating conversation points, and, yeah, working together with it
1: absolutely so what's going to next for uh, GCNC what's your sort of uh, ambitions or aims for the rest of 2022 and and beyond
0: yeah we are in growth mode for sure Um, it's a very exciting start to 2022 realizing that trade shows and events were going to be coming back Mm -hmm. and so we've got a lot on our deck with with those Um, particularly in Europe this year we'll be attending um, at least one more ICBC event um, we're looking at you know green tech in Amsterdam and cannabis cool. Europa. Um, my business partner Chris Day is actually in Malta this oh, okay, right cool. now. Okay, um, cool. The and
1: plant medicine conference is that right?
0: That's right. Yeah, plant yeah. medicine week and there's a day yeah. or two of uh, cannabis business. Hmm. Um, Malta Malta just uh, has approved an adult use market. Yes, and they're really looking to be a point of an epicenter of trade between Africa. Possibly South America and Europe as well. So, um, very, very interesting happen- things mm.
1: happening on that right. island. Absolutely. And it's, Um, I remember going there as a kid, sort of, oh my God, 20 oh, wow. plus years ago. And it was just literally, and had some nice beaches, but it was just a rock in the Mediterranean. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, you know, a center for kind of offshore gambling. And it's like become this funny little uh, vice island almost. <laughs> i say that in you know with a sense of fondness but it's uh it's, it's really interesting that they're so progressive in a lot of their take on things which is you know again really encouraging because again it's a it's an eu nation you know it's uh mm-hmm. which is uh again which the uk sadly is no longer but um but again it's it's that sort of setting a precedent we can do it right in malta we can we we can make this happen and it's almost like a sort right. of training ground for the rest of europe and you know germany does it and then France, Italy, I think Denmark has started a pilot program I was reading about the other day. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. you kind of take your pick and there's always a country doing something or other in Europe in some, there seems to be varying, it seems to be a sort of sliding scale of, Acceptance or whatever. I think I was reading about Luxembourg. You're allowed to grow four plants for personal use or something, but that doesn't necessarily legalize it. And I think the whole idea in the Netherlands is actually decriminalized. It's not actually legal in in the conventional sense, of recreation, as I understand it. Um,
0: I I believe they have their eye on an adult use recreational market, um, but they might have gone with that midstep of decriminalization, which. Mm. Portugal also has done yeah. and has, um, you know, kind of proven to the world that they're they're more social, social support system for um, people separate from cannabis, um, but people who are dealing with addiction of, you know, harder drugs, harder yeah. opioids, yes. very addictive substances, unlike cannabis, um, that providing a social support system there is really life changing yes. and changes your economy. Um, which is something I was thinking about with Malta. I love how when you see a country kind of take a step back and look at their their economic drivers and realize that cannabis as a commodity that you can trade um, mm-hmm. will be very important and that can be a source of income for uh, as you said they are they are a rock in the Mediterranean you can't grow a lot of things there you know you yeah
1: Islander, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, it's no, similar yeah. to, to Israel in a lot of ways. I mean, this is why, again, they've been so successful in the sort of textile, because other than kind of olives, there's not been a huge amount of industry there. There isn't, you know, there isn't space for it, or there isn't the climate right. or whatever, you know. And again, it's interesting how, uh, you know, these opportunities are sort of seized upon by a lot mm-hmm. of uh, nations
0: like yeah. that. Were, yeah.
1: You know, so it's interesting. Yeah, but again, it, it really... And again, they might have the they might have the same sort of population size as say the UK or Germany. But uh, again, it's uh, it all has to start somewhere, right? And seeing them do it right, you know, the first time round is like wow, you know, it's, right. uh, something we yeah. can all learn from. Yeah,
0: yeah. In in a global market, we all have a role to play. Uh, you know, Colombia. India are both markets that are well positioned to grow and supply a lot of cannabis for the world. Mm. Um, Malta will be able to have a role in that because of their strategic geographical position mm. and their business, business savvy, you know, that's great. Yeah.
1: That's it. No, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Good stuff. Cool. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts? How can, um, are you kind of recruiting for uh, new members right now? And if people are interested and want to find out more about it, where, sh- where should they where should we direct them right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to have conversations with international and multinational, uh, as I said, cannabis and hemp organizations, ancillary as well, of course. And our website is uh, very simple, GCNC.global. Put that www in there too, right? Okay. Um, and yeah, I can be found on LinkedIn as well. jill Jill reddish is out there um always love to have conversations with people and connect we're definitely looking to continue to grow the membership with people who are you know aligned with what we do it's good times
1: great Great stuff thank you very much you appreciate your time thanks for joining me and uh, yeah we'll speak again soon thank you
0: thank you dave this has been great